0: mamacitas welcome back to another episode of dead it tells all uh it feels so good to be back i know i took a week off i desperately needed just like some downtime and you guys are awesome for respecting that and understanding and yeah i'm so excited to to be back here with you guys so if you are listening to this episode on the week that it comes out I will officially be back at work on campus at school. Um, So as I've told you before, I work in school leadership um, along with school admin. And we always go back in July before the teachers go back. The teachers go back usually like the first or second week of August. um, But we go back in July because, you know, we have there's a lot of work to do before school starts. Like if you're not in education, if you don't know a teacher, Like, if this is not your realm, um, then you probably don't know how much prep goes into it. So aside from, you know, the teachers preparing their physical classroom they have to lesson plan, they have to create curriculum calendars, they have to create their assessments, they have to go through professional development so that the teachers can also grow and learn new skills or learn new teaching practices. And so a lot of that stuff gets presented by um, people like me who are content specialists or curriculum specialists. And so my area of focus in particular is technology. And, you know, right now we live in this beautiful modern era of technology and so that has also made its way into the school system and um particularly like my school district our secondary schools are all one-to-one which means that all of our kids have you know devices and um so i you know Part of my job is to help teachers with that, how to navigate it, how to use those tools in the classroom, and then I also train all of the brand new teachers um, who come onto our campus or to our district, or even brand new teachers right out of college. I have to teach them how to use all of those tools, and there's just a lot of stuff that goes on um, behind the scenes. But um, yeah, so if you're listening on the week that this episode comes out, I am officially back at work full time and. At first, I was a little a little sad about it. I, I guess I wasn't really fully ready to go back. But now I'm kind of at at peace with it, and I know that it's part of my, you know, it's part of my routine. It's part of who I am, and I generally do love education. I um I've told you guys before I'm a big old nerd, so I like being at school. I like learning. I like challenging myself. I like Reading in general, I like teaching myself new skills. I like te- learning skills from other people. So it's just you know, it's part of my ethos. And yeah, I'm back, back at work. I tell ya, another update. Um, I got Botox for the first time, so I got a little bit on my forehead, and I'm a big old baby. I don't like pain, which is crazy because I like getting tattoos. And tattoos are pain, right? But anytime I have to get any type of like medical procedure done, I'm so terrified of pain. And, uh, but anyway, I got there and we documented it. And I'm going to have a reel for you guys sometime later this week so you can kind of get the little behind the scenes scoop. Um, What's really cool is that the place that I went to to get my Botox, so they do aesthetics and plastic surgery. And that's actually the same practice the same clinic that I went to for my mommy makeover so when I got um, like my tummy tug and all of that so same clinic obviously I didn't see the surgeon because the this Botox you don't need the surgeon for but it was nice um, to kind of like see familiar faces and like I genuinely love this place and yeah, I am excited to have worked with them and gotten this done because, you know, it's become such a normalized thing to get Botox. It's like a preventative like beauty procedure. And I know that for a while, you know, it was kind of like stigmatized almost, but now it's like, well, you know, it's a, it's a preventative Beauty practice and a lot of people do it, and like I told you um, before, my mom does it. My mom's been doing it for a while, and um, it was just something that I knew eventually I would want to do as well. And over the past, you know, a couple of months or so, I just, I don't, I don't critique myself harshly anymore. But there were, there would be times where like I'd look in the mirror and I could see my makeup just kind of like sitting in the creases of like my teeny tiny forehead wrinkles and I say teeny tiny because I really didn't have crazy forehead wrinkles at all but I like I would notice it and then I'm like hmm maybe now's the time to get Botox because a lot of times they tell you you know don't wait until you absolutely need it like do it beforehand like as a preventative thing so I was like okay if I if I'm noticing it now like this is probably the best time to go um, but yeah so i am a huge proponent of doing what you want what you think is best for you and if you know if you want to go get your tummy tuck go do it if you want to go get your boobs done go do it if you want to get some botox some lip filler some whatever do it do it because it's something that you genuinely want it's something that will make you happy and confident and make you feel beautiful and more like yourself so Yeah, went and got my Botox, and I do not regret it. All right, we do have a review shout-out today. So today's review shout-out goes to Muck24. Um, She says, I look forward to this podcast every Tuesday. It's a must for me because the podcasts are funny and really help because she makes sure that the things she talks about relate to us. I love this podcast. Keep doing it today. So... Thank you, uh, Muck24. I don't know your real name, but I appreciate you for taking the time to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. So remember, guys, that I love reading your reviews on air. So, you know, if you could take that extra, you know, couple of minutes to just go on Apple Podcasts and you know leave me a quick rating and a quick review not only am I going to be super appreciative of you and not only are you going to get a shout out on the podcast but it also really does help the podcast grow and that is like that's my my goal for 2021 is when I wanted to start the podcast obviously but I also wanted to grow the podcast and I have so many amazing guests coming up your way I've Uh, Okay so there's two people that you guys have been like begging me to have on the podcast and uh we finally got dates we got dates like settled in the books for us to record and I'm so excited about it and I think you guys are gonna love those too and obviously like every single guest that I have had has had a wonderful amazing story and we've all like been able to take something from their story and like applied it to our lives or learned from it um but at the same time, like I know that there there are some people who you guys have been begging me to put on, to bring on the show, and uh, we're making it happen. And it's because of you guys because, you know, you help me make my show grow, and it gives the show more credibility. So it makes it I don't say easier, but it makes it possible for me to bring on these guests. And um, so yeah, thank you so much, Apple Podcasts. Go give me five stars, go leave me a quick review, share the podcast on Instagram stories and tag it away and yeah, I'm I'm, I'm very grateful for you guys. All right, this has been a long intro, I am very, very well aware of that. So uh, let's bring on today's guest. She is such a sweetheart, um, I've known her, I met her last year, 2020 and we started following each other on Instagram, and I just, like, adore her, too. She's got a cool story, and um, I'm excited for you guys to hear not just her story, but just, like, her overall. She has this beautiful, just, like, demeanor and aura about herself, and that's what really stuck with me when I met her. And so I knew that she was one someone that I wanted to bring on the show because I feel like she, we need to amplify her voice. She needs to share her wisdom with more people. So yeah, without further ado, let's get into it. All right, guys, today on the show, I have civil engineer, health and wellness advocate, inspiration and role model known as the one armed warrior. Faith Moulton. Welcome to the show.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So happy to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. Um, So Faith and I have worked on another project before sometime last year um, and she made quite the impression on me. So I knew that I wanted to bring her on the show and just kind of share her story with us. So I'm going to stop talking. Uh, Faith, Fifi, can I call you Fifi? Absolutely, yes. <laughs>
1: um,
0: go ahead and uh, just tell us who you are, what you do, your passion, all that stuff.
1: All right, so um, my, who I am is I'm 24 years old and I'm living in Houston. I've lived in Houston for most of my life. Other than Houston, I've lived in Paris, France, and Tucson, Arizona. I'm currently working as a civil engineer. I'm at a firm here in town and um, recently graduated in 2020 with a civil engineering degree and a minor in energy and sustainability. So I have a big soft spot for the natural world Um, and I'm now working on also helping society change the narrative on limb difference. Um, That's one of my big passions and one of the things that keeps me um, busy in the evenings.
0: Right. So, um, your Instagram handle is the one armed warrior. Um, can you explain yes. why that's your Instagram handle? Yes. So, it,
1: I have switched it back now to the one arm wonder <laughs> because oh, did you? Uh, yes,
0: I did. I missed that.
1: <laughs> I did. Yeah, I was slipping back and forth between warrior and wonder. Warrior, because um, uh, out of the different sixty four different archetypes of of human consciousness. Warrior is one that has really resonated with me um, throughout my life, and people have come up to me and and have shared reflections that they see the same thing. And so, um, I had switched it to Warrior, but then I realized that um, Warrior is a is a facet of who I am, whereas Wonder more encompasses the entire um, message and sort of like a spectrum of who I am, I guess you could say. And then also um, the one arm Wonder. It it has um it really came up as sort of like a nickname or like something people just called me for fun in high school. They also called me um one armed bandit, tripod iPod, like there are all kinds of little nicknames and that I loved and it was almost like um a game of who could come up with, with the catchiest or the funniest one. Um and so that just kind of stick but I really you know sort of put some like ethos or philosophy behind the one Arm wonder and and what I want it to mean and eventually I'd like for it to become a, a company and be called in short OA and be about discovering the wonder that we are like we are a wonderland in a way um and so yeah that's that's where that comes from
0: I love that okay one-armed wonder gotta make note of that <laughs> Um so you were born with one arm, correct? Correct. Yep. you left I, or you're right? I have my left. You have left. Proud
1: lefty. <laughs> Very proud lefty. Um, but yes, I was born without my right arm, the entire right arm, um, even the collarbone and the shoulder blade. I have half of a scapula. Um, but that's yeah, it and the doctors had no idea. My parents didn't know. I was supposed to be a boy and have all of my limbs, uh, so a huge surprise, but um, was really, really lucky to have the parents that I had. My mom, for example, um, was told by the doctors, she is as, only as handicapped as you make her. And so that was my mom's uh, you know, motto for basically my entire life. My mom had, uh, had been through a lot in her life by the time she had me. When my mom had me, she was 24. So this year has been a very special year because it's allowed me to view my mom in a really cool way. Now that I'm her age and she had me, it's super mind boggling. But um, yeah, if I ever, you know, asked for help with carrying things, my mom would say, make two trips. Um, If I would ever play the one arm card, she would say, that's a fact, not an excuse. And my dad was pretty much the same way. He more of just um, never addressed the one arm thing. It was always like, you know, we would do everything that any other kid do he would take me hiking and go we would go shark encountering because he lived in hawaii and we would climb volcano like it was just we did all kinds of stuff and he never ever once brought up like can you do this or um he, he, like yeah he would just throw everything at me like he, you would any other kid so i was very lucky to have parents in that regard because um that's how i perceive myself as without limitation
0: yeah um what about in school? First of all, did you go to like public school, private school, homeschool? What did you do?
1: So I went to Montessori um, when I was little, and then I was transferred into private school um, when my mother, my, so my parents um, were married for like a couple months, and then got divorced um, all before I was one. And so when I, my mom got remarried when I was five, and I was put into private school, And then I was in private school my whole life until I was asked to leave my private school my junior year of high school and um, was um, sent to my public school, a public school for my first semester of high school. And then I went to boarding school for the second semester of high school where I graduated.
0: Can I ask why they asked you to leave (laughs) private school?
1: Well, um, the lesson there was that... um, you are the creator of your life and um you are responsible for your relationship to life and it's a really good idea to um go to therapy (laughs) before you get into trouble (laughs) and in essence in so many words you know i think that um, life will constantly there's this guy who i listen to a lot his name is peter crone and he has a quote that says life will present to you people and circumstances to reveal to you where you are not free in your life and that was certainly the case for me of um, making a lot of decisions that were not in my best interest because of how I viewed myself Mm -hmm. and because of how I viewed my life and um also, um, my, my mom and my stepfather got divorced when I was 15, and so by the time I had turned 15, I'd seen three family divorces because my father um, also got divorced to his um, remarriage, and so anyways, just having one arm, having a very tumultuous family life, um, moving a lot, and then having both parents who had been through a ton in their own lives, um, and not having resources to help them work through those traumas. Mm -hmm. um, it really created a condition to where I was in the position that I was in and made decisions that weren't in my best interest.
0: Right. Well, plus you were an adolescent and you know, the adolescent brain is a whole wonder in itself. (laughs) So, Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Yeah. So the reason I asked is just because I wanted to know about your school experience, like with your peers. So we know that at home, you know, your parents created this environment for you to thrive in, but what was it like in school with your peers and your teachers? Yeah. So the the beginning
1: years were great in school um, because I had this um, zest for life and willingness of like, I can do that. I can try that. um, And never automatically thinking that I can't do something. I would do push-ups. I would play all the sports. I would I would be just like any other, other kid. But what had happened was um, when I moved, I was living in a little town called Clear Lake, um, which is south of Houston. And I moved when I was in second grade up to Houston. And so I had had the same um, group of friends from kindergarten to second grade. So, by during those years, especially kindergarten and pre-K, kids are like, where's your arm? And you're like, I don't have one. And they say, Oh, okay. And then you just play together and it's fine.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But when you get into second grade and third grade, it's like, but why, but why? Oh, but that's weird. You know, and it gets to, you get into the ego and you get into more judgment and it's not, um, it's not always okay anymore. And so I had a really hard time transitioning from being a pretty popular kid um, and, before second grade and then moving and then getting in second grade and having kids who already had their clicks mm-hmm. and then me coming in super different um and then being in a new city, I it didn't go well for me. And I had a really hard time adapting. And I think that also that move really illuminated to me, wow, like there are people in my life who aren't going to accept me for having one arm, which is an incredibly difficult place to be in at such a young age because there's nothing I can do about that. Like I can't, I can't change that. So to have someone reject you for something you can't change, it can easily put you. And it certainly did for me. It put me into a very hopeless place because I was like, what am I supposed to do? Like mm-hmm. uh, from, from that point. And um, it got me into some very self-destructive behaviors because I adopted the belief that, well, what's the point of even trying, right? I had that philosophy that if someone's going to reject me, well, then I don't, What's even point of even trying?
0: Yeah. So like, did you express those concerns to your parents, or did you just kind of like bottle them up inside? I definitely, when it
1: comes to having, when it came to having one arm, I did not share my experiences with having one arm. Um, I one, I don't think I knew how to articulate them, um, but two, my mom and my grandmother are incredibly positive people, and um, to give you some context. Um, my mother's brother was um, killed, murdered when he was 18. And so my family had gone through a bunch of tragedy. And then they had also lost um, my mother lost her father to early onset Alzheimer's. So my mother and my grandmother had been through a lot um, mm-hmm. by that time. And so growing up, it was always positivity like, look at the glasses half full, like, it's okay, like, you're still great, blah, blah, blah. But what that did was, whenever I brought a concern about having one arm, and they would say, oh, but you're still this and you're that. They were doing the best they could, but what they were doing was they were super imposing their belief over my uh, experience of reality, which mean they weren't listening to me, mm-hmm. right? They were trying to make it better, but they weren't listening. Um, and they, again, they were doing the best they could. But when you don't acknowledge someone's reality, when you don't honor where they're at what that does is that that makes them feel inadequate it makes them feel unworthy because you're not stepping into their world and you're not seeing them every human being wants to be seen and wants to be heard mm-hmm. my, my grandmother my mother wanted me to feel better because I mean as from their perspective right your little baby's telling you about a problem that nobody can fix right so what it, what else are you supposed to do besides to console them but you have to honor i mean don't let them sit and waddle in their in their suffering but also honor where they're at so then they can feel seen and heard because when you see someone and you hear someone you're saying that they're valuable mm-hmm. enough to be seen and heard so um you know yeah i didn't tell anybody about having one arm because i would i would try and then i would get that response and i wouldn't feel heard And for me, it was more painful to tell somebody my experiences um, that hurt me with one arm than it was to just not say anything at all. And so I definitely um, suppressed a lot of those emotions and experiences for a very, very long time.
0: Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard the term a toxic positivity, but it's one that I keep hearing often. And, um, you know, I do, I do want to touch on that particular topic later on, just like a whole episode centered on that. But basically, it's exactly what you just mentioned, you know, like when someone comes to you with their feelings or emotions or their hardships, and rather than listening and honoring them and just being there as a support system, you kind of like dismiss their emotions altogether with positivity. And it in, I think people want to help and they kind of want to see people or help people see the glass half full. But you're doing the opposite. You're actually hurting them more, and um, that's something that me as a parent, you know, I'm always trying to be uh, careful of. I know that you're not a mom, but I mean, obviously, you have a mom, so you and you live this experience. But I always try to make a conscious effort that when my son does approach me with something that is bothering him or. He's in his fields, you know, that I listen to what he's saying and that I acknowledge what he's saying and not just rush to try to like, you know, slap a bandit on it and make him make everything positive and happy, and we can move on because I don't want him to feel dismissed. And um, you know, you said your your parents did the the best they could. and I think that's true for most parents. We, want to do the best we can. And sometimes we just, we just don't know. And we think that we're doing the right thing. Um, but toxic positivity is, is a a very real thing that I think should be talked about more.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really admire you for doing that for your son because otherwise what he is learning is that his feelings aren't important and that what is important is is focusing on the positives or he's learning that he's only going to be loved when he's not feeling inadequate, which Mm -hmm. doesn't actually allow room for his humanity. And um, allowing feelings of fear and inadequacies to be there actually allows you to open up your bandwidth to receive love and to give love. Because otherwise, if we tell somebody, um, you know, oh, um, look at the positives or if we make them feel that way that's that's preferential love like I only want to love you when you're feeling good mm-hmm. or I only want to be around you when you're being positive um, which puts a lot of pressure and it actually like becomes an insidious cycle right like it's like oh my feelings aren't actually honored or allowed or I'm not going to be loved if I'm not feeling good mm-hmm. so what does that want to make you go do drink or eat or like shop like it makes you want to go escape yourself so yeah that's 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 phenomenal that you you do that for your son
0: well and you just transition on to the next topic because you know you know i can relate to suppressing my emotions and so then i would turn to like food as a coping mechanism versus you know actually talking to someone about how i felt and helping me process my my feelings um but you just you know you touched on that too like well then then we turn to food um so kind of walk us through your your journey with food your relationship with food and what role that played or is playing or I guess continues to play in your life yeah my my
1: uh, my journey with food um so From I think from the from the very get go, I didn't have that great of a shot because my grandmother, the way that she would love me and she would give me whatever I wanted. And that meant sugar and that meant pancakes and that meant bacon. Like (laughs) and so from the very young age I had I was addicted to sugar and it makes me it breaks my heart when I see parents give their kids sugar because I'm like you're literally giving your kid crack like it it's be, it's been proven to be more addictive than cocaine yeah. and and it's in every it's everywhere and so um yeah for, from a very young age struggling with the addiction to sugar um so biologically or, or chemically I had a problem with food and then on top of that it was also um you know, not being able to express my feelings and emotions with one arm. um, And then feeling like, you know, no matter what I did, I was still not going to be loved or wanted, especially being a woman and having one arm. Um, We live in this, especially here in the United States, the world of perfection and dolls and all kinds of things. Like I remember playing with my Barbies and I thought, Why don't any of my Barbies have one arm? (laughs) You know, you get as a a little girl, you get into these um, interesting sort of like uh, perceptions of self from a very young age. But did you ever take
0: an arm off your Barbies?
1: I I would try. Yeah. If I could (laughs) get them off, I would. Uh, Yeah. Because it makes such a difference, right? Like when, In in media and pop culture, if you don't see what you look like represented, Mm -hmm. then you start to believe that the world isn't for you or Mm -hmm. that there's something wrong with you or that um, you're not a part of the tribe, <laughs> and mm-hmm. it can be heartbreaking, um, which I mean, could then make you want to go eat. So <laughs> all right. of these all of these things, um, yeah, like food is is such a powerful drug. And so, um, yeah, having the chemical addiction to sugar and then having feelings of inadequacy, feelings of unworthiness, um, really causes you to not respect your body, to not listen to your body. And for me, having one arm, I felt betrayed by my body for many years. I'd look in the mirror and I'd be like, what happened to you? Like we were supposed to be all together. (laughs) You betrayed me, you know? And so that would, you know, not, not inspire me to take care of my body because I was like, you betrayed me. Why am I going to respect you? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so that, that whole journey, and then it got to the point where I was like, this isn't fun anymore. And my mom um, had done, uh, did pageants for many years. Mm -hmm. And so as I was gaining weight um, pretty early, like in middle school, she was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, don't do it. Please don't do it. you know, Because she knew the repercussions um, when it comes to your skin and your energy level and fitting into clothes, right? Like there's so many dominoes that fall when um, you're when you're not in, in your natural body shape. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she would take me to the park at 5 a.m. And she would take me to a nutritionist, which, you know, definitely did add pressure. Um, mm-hmm. And she would, um, but she, she always showed me the underbelly of humanity. And in so many words, she would say, Faith, look, like, I'm sorry, but you have one arm. Like, in, in, in a very nice way, she basically said, you can't be fat and have one arm like society, it's not going to work, <laughs> because society is going to eat you alive. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and it's not that there's nothing wrong with you. This is just the way that society is. And so, um, you know, I want you to be a, a big fish, but to be a big fish, you have to swim fast. So like, don't, don't further handicap yourself. Mm-hmm. by not taking care of yourself by not because I like wouldn't brush my hair I like went through all of this rebellious phases of truly not taking care of myself like brushing my teeth like staying clean like keeping my room clean because I was just like whatever world I don't like you reject me I reject you right mm-hmm. like getting into this very dark place to be and um, it got to the point where I was like oh my gosh who's really suffering here like I'm I'm the one that's suffering here and I'm doing it to myself. Like, this is ridiculous Um, that I'm almost like having, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like I don't want the world to reject me for having one arm, but I'm rejecting myself. Mm -hmm. And it's actually the lens that I'm looking at myself with that's causing the narrative that I have about myself to play in my head. And it's the lens that I'm looking at the world with that is generating the narrative that I have about what society says. Wait a minute, I am a part of society. So if I want to change the narrative, I have to first change it with myself. And there's no way I'm going to be able to change my experience of the world if I don't start experiencing myself a different way. Mm -hmm. And, And so where that breakdown sort of came from was getting sick and tired of being sick and tired (laughs) like you just get to that point where you can't take it
0: anymore so that's the turning. yeah no and I think that's the the turning point for a lot of people that's that's when you hit your plot twist as I like to say is when you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired because you know people can talk to you or try to like get you on the right path but you're not going to jump on that right path until you yourself are ready to make that choice or, you know, to go in that direction. So it sounds like that's basically what happened. Like that's when you got to that point. Um, so were you ever like, I know you ate a lot. Did you actually get like super overweight or were you just like, you know, like borderline overweight and knew that you were headed down a dark road if you didn't change?
1: Yeah, I was border, borderline overweight. I think the heaviest I got was probably 140. Um, and I'm five, (laughs) four. That's a lot, that's a lot of weight for, um, a little frame and, um, very small boned too. Um, so, and, and, and it's interesting, like, you know, my, for my, for a while my mom thought, you know, maybe she's just like a bigger, a bigger built person because I'd put on weight so early. Um, but then I started to compete, um, or started getting ready to compete in bodybuilding in 2020. Mm-hmm. And then um, really got to what I felt. I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm, I'm in like middle school again. This feels great. And we realized like, wow, I'm actually a really tiny person. But um, back to like the stories that we tell ourselves, like it became so normal for be- me to be a certain size that it was like, well, maybe this is just who I am. Mm-hmm. And so starting to like, have that identity that I'm just a bigger person. And it's interesting because like whenever we, I, when we use the words, I am, when we identify with something, mm-hmm. if we want to change that thing, or if we want to um, lose that thing, we have to in a way, in a way, lose ourselves. So it becomes very challenging to achieve a task that involves disassociating or separating from, from an identity that we've created for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the biggest um, catalyst, I guess, in, in that journey of, of changing my behavior and of changing who I am is um, shedding that snake layer, that, that layer of skin of like, this is how I eat, this is what I eat, this is when I eat, all of these things, changing that and letting go of the identity, letting go of that version of myself so I can make room for the new version. Because mm-hmm. that version wasn't wrong or bad, it just wasn't working, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, So, yeah. Yeah.
0: You reminded me of, um, I used to have a a Pinterest board, like a a Fitspo Pinterest board when I first started losing weight. And Mm -hmm. one of the, one of the quotes that I had on there was, um, where it says like, you are not fat. You have fat, you know, it was just like making that switch to understanding that you are not that you just happen to have that and then it it, it wasn't like a permanent condition it was something that you could change something you could take control of and change the narrative so to say um and so that when you said that right now that i am you know and then you fill in the the blank um Mm -hmm. it it like totally brought me back to my old pinterest board that i no longer have um you Uh, oh i've seen your workout videos so how long have you been into because i you Sounds like you were pretty active your whole life, but the way that you train now, how long have you been doing it that way? Mm, um, probably since I moved back to Houston after living
1: in Tucson, which was um, 2018, is when I moved back. So um, that's when my practice, or 2017, that's when my practice of like going to the gym and really having some sort of like consistency. Um, really began so I would say like five years probably consistently in the gym um, and I started I've, all, yeah, I've always been active doing sports and I would take a lot of fitness classes at the club I'm a part of um, mm. so I first started having a routine by taking classes and then um, figuring out what worked for me what didn't work for me and then starting to work out um, in the weight room on my own which is primarily what I do now is just weights and, and walking or bar classes um, that's what I do.
0: You mentioned uh, competing earlier. Is that something that you're still doing? It is
1: not. When COVID happened, I, you know, made some executive decisions about what financially and time-wise. Um, so much is the unknown at that time. I mean, it's the unknown is always the unknown, but like particularly in a pandemic, right? There's a lot more variables. I feel like at play. But um, yeah, so I, I m- maybe in my future, but as of right now, um, it's a no.
0: So. If you so, when you thought about competing, mm-hmm. do like uh, wellness or bodybuilding? Like, what type of competing were you looking into? So it was the
1: WBFF, uh, World Beauty, Fitness, and Fashion. It's basically um, a bikini. So they do bikini figure, and then they also have a couple of other divisions. Um, but I was going to do bikini. Um, I really I liked that organization the best um, because it has glamour and fashion and a bit more i thought that it just celebrated the human spirit more than just uh physique
0: Mm -hmm. which is what drew me to it yeah i looked into it too because they also have a wellness division which is yes like go through like major weight loss transformations and i feel like they're very inclusive Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to you know competing um or fitness competing so uh, yeah i know exactly what you're talking about i just wondered like if if it was there was like a, a special class that you had to compete in if you were just open to jump into any class that you wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause you know, I obviously like it, it's hard to do that because you know, that they're going to judge you exactly for your body, the way it is, you know, mm-hmm. it, yeah. it's hard to put yourself out there and have someone mm-hmm. your back to critique your legs, to critique your abs. Um, you have to be very mentally prepared to do that. And so I, don't know, I, it just, it, it, I, I didn't know that about you. So it really interested me to hear that.
1: Yeah, I, um, it, he, I definitely had many conversations, especially with my mom, who I mentioned before did pageants. And she asked me, she said, are you sure you want to do this? Because my whole entire life, I have seen my mom struggle with the conditioning that she went through doing pageants. And um, and in, and I inherited some of that as well, um, but um, I, I said yes, Mama. I do want to do this because I understand what I'm go- what I'm going into, mm-hmm. and for me, it's an opportunity to become really solid and sovereign in my beliefs and my intention of going. Because and particularly why I picked WBFF, like, like you said, is because there's a bit more room to be yourself, and so I felt like me having one arm um it wouldn't i would have more grace and and have a more of a chance to be judged as an equal across the board than maybe um one of the other organizations who i mean they're just doing their job like yeah, right. if if you don't have a right arm and you're judging somebody who does have a right arm there's nothing to judge you on like so how can you get points for that <laughs> like yeah, yeah. they're doing their job um, but um uh, yeah it I think that competing is a really great opportunity if you have the right mindset. It's one of those things that, if you go, you go into it, it can either destroy you or create you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I saw that you recently worked with Alphalete, which I love Alphalete. I think the first time you and I met, we had a whole discussion about Buff Bunny and Alphalete. We did, uh, yeah. Yeah, I remember. Uh, how did, so tell me, tell me about your experience working with Alkali. How did it happen? What'd you do? All that stuff.
1: Yeah, it was a dream come true. And I, I played it really, really cool until the very end when I told them, I was like, you guys know, this is like, I'm like fangirling so hard during this entire experience. Um, yeah. So they reached out to me through Instagram. Um, they have um, a, um, I guess a campaign of, that's called what, what makes us who we are, or something like that. I'm forgetting the, the exact name, but it's something to that effect. Um, and it's really Atholita is, is working on creating um, a bigger ethos than just we work out and we transform ourselves. Like to really have more of an identity and a, and a belief, which I'm a huge fan of uh, brands who do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really, um, you know, again back to the point about humanity. Like we're so much more than just what we wear or like what we sell or our mm-hmm. yeah so um I was happy to be a part of the campaign and they said yeah we just want to hear your story we want to hear you know how you've been able to overcome and so I said absolutely um they invited me to Alpha Land where we shot the interview and then we did a workout afterwards um fantastic people um Kirby is lovely and she's um the main photographer and so yeah I was just really 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 blown away with the team and the whole company and organization and it was a, a privilege and a treat to be a part of it so
0: yeah I remember I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw you and I was like wait is that a And and because you know like it only it only plays like a little when you're scrolling through Instagram and there's like an IGTV video it only gives you like a little 10-15 second preview so I was like hold up and, and I went back and uh, I watched the whole thing and I was like. I felt like a big sister every time I see mean, like yeah. someone that I know that you know they work with a brand or, or you know with someone big like big like that. I feel like such a big sister, and I'm like, oh my god, yeah! <laughs> so cool Especially because you and I had already had that discussion before when we met. So yeah, and I I remember yeah we had the discussion because I was wearing
1: all Alpha Lee, yeah, and I was year. wearing all buff
0: Bunny. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh my gosh! Yeah, and it's so interesting, you know, like. Not to be super like ethereal or like esoteric or woo woo, but when I first started my YouTube channel and started making YouTube videos, a friend of mine who was helping me create them, she said, "Cause I she knew I loved Alpha League, that's like all of, all that I would wear." Mm-hmm. And she said, "Oh my gosh, what if like Alpha League sees, sees this one day and then they wanna they wanna have you be a part of the team?" And I said, "Stop, I would die." <laughs> And then here we are years later and they reach out to me. So when they reach out to me, I sent her a text of the of the um, message and yeah. we both had a little moment together. So um, yeah, a dream come true. And I really look forward to seeing what the company um, evolves into.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. I can totally relate to that too. When I, when I got my first message, um, you said you got to work out there, um, which, well, I guess there's only one gym available at the time because they don't have the other ones ready yet. But um did you do like a full workout or was it just like, you know, a couple sets here and there for the video?
1: So we actually we went back to the gym that's open now. We didn't. Oh work okay. Out. So I we went, went to the athlete.
0: actual athlete gym to do it. Gotcha.
1: Yes, yes. Um and we just did different, like it wasn't a full workout. It was just the shots um to get or the, the exercises to get for the shots, um, mm-hmm. which I was which was fun. We shot from like um the whole the whole um experience was from 7 p.m. to like 11 p.m. So it was it was a great
0: long evening. Shoots mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. like that take forever. That was one of the well, I I kind of knew that you know like when you watch reality TV and they're like, oh, we're gonna go shoot, and and on TV it makes it look like it's like an all day affair, but then when I actually started going to shoots, I'm like, oh my god, it really is. Sometimes like it really hours is hours and hours. Mm-hmm. And um, my very first shoot, I remember I the next morning I woke up and I was so sore. From like having to pose and holding your pose and yeah, like I was like this is like a legit. It's like a workout almost mm-hmm. in itself. Having to do shoots. yeah
1: it's really interesting. So the last, um, I guess, year I've had a bunch of different opportunities uh, come my way, and I've been reflecting on like what was the shift. I mean, is it is, is it really just a timing thing? But I also think that if you're into physics at all, which I am a little bit of a nerd, I love physics. <laughs> so uh, one of the things. Uh, that I've learned is um, about like about the quantum field and how whenever you change your energy, you change what you attract, um, which, I mean, Eastern yogis and philosophers have known about this for a really long time. Um, and so I guess the listeners who are like hearing about this, about what I'm up to and, and seeing, sort of hearing my journey of like not being in a good place with myself and then now being able to have opportunities come my way um, my invitation to you would be to like challenge um, the constructs that you live in and to like question your own reality and to question your own beliefs about yourself and become really aware and observant of your conscious mind because your conscious your conscious thoughts and your feelings are a result of your subconscious programming, mm-hmm. and that's what's ultimately attracting things to you in your life and again life is very benevolent so whatever you attract use it as an opportunity to grow and evolve Um, but for as long as you live in the construct of I don't feel love or I am not loved I am not accepted I am not wanted you'll always feel isolated and if an opportunity comes your way you won't even be able to recognize it because you don't you can't have the life of somebody that you don't believe you are.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so that would just be my invitation to wrap up like what we had had talked about earlier and and how to transform yourself into the life you want to have
0: no I wholeheartedly agree because I didn't see myself the way that I see myself now until I started going to therapy when I started going to therapy I was able to face my fears and my insecurities and my anxieties head on. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of able to like break them apart almost and rationalize and understand why I felt the way I did, why Mm -hmm. I have a first gen complex, why I have this like um, single mom complex, like, you know, like I have all of these things that I was I was making them my identity markers and not allowing myself to see myself outside of that. So once I got to therapy and I was able to see myself as a woman, to see myself as a warrior, to see myself as an entrepreneur, that's whenever I started to believe in myself and my whole demeanor changed That's when I started getting noticed. That's when people started to follow me on Instagram. That's when, you know, I started getting approached to collab with other people, because before that I was just like. Playing small. Yes, I was. And the, the minute I believed in myself, that's when all of this happened. And so I always tell people it's like, you have to look at yourself, you have to understand yourself, you have to believe in yourself. But in order to do all of those things, you need to process who you are, and understand, you know, there's more to you than the one thing that you're probably labeling yourself as.
1: Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. It's a really great articulation. And what you reminded me of is something that I've been very grateful for studying engineering is because it's taught me um sort of like the equation on how to how to solve problems mm-hmm. um or how um or even how like how to dissolve problems like problems like sometimes you realize you don't even have a problem <laughs> but yeah. but um yeah like to take um what you know and what you don't know and then see how they're related and look at your variables and then find a solution for your for what you're facing for your challenges and then to have um to love yourself enough to understand yourself, mm-hmm. right? And like, be able to reverse engineer how you got to where you were today. Like, what was the impact your mother had, your father had, the absence of your mother, or the absence of your father or the lack of family or that teacher that told you that thing or that guy who said he didn't love you. Like, like what can you reverse your engineer and then see how you got to where you were? Because I firmly believe in, and I would assert that in doing that, you will find the magic that you are and you'll be able to find a lot of love and compassion for um, not only those who hurt you or who you think did you wrong, but also for yourself because you'll realize that, wow, like I was doing the best I could with the information that I had. My mom was doing the best that she could. My father was just reacting because of how his parents treated him or because of what he went through. And you realize that, like, wow, any sort of, like, hate or um, negative energy you harbor against somebody else, Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, I don't need to carry this anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's incredible what happens when you let go of that energy, how you will transform, like, your physiology will transform your behaviors or your decisions, your thoughts, your actions, because it's any sort of energy that we have not processed is is trauma in the body and it keeps the body tense and it and it has and it creates all these little like idiosyncrasies and neuroses that we do because it's like energy trying to get out of the body it's energy trying to say hey look at me pay attention to me i need to be recognized it's like the little kid that keeps on tugging on your shirt hey 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 play with me love me see me your little inner child wants you to do the same thing for yourself um so yeah i, th- I think that human beings are so incredible like you beautiful woman you are incredible and powerful and all that you have i mean i've i've listened to your story a couple of times and and you've been through so much in your life and like to have raised he's a man now like i've seen how tall he is he's a full man (laughs) like you like you don't have a son you have a man (laughs) (laughs) but you did that though like you did that and you can tell he's a sweet kid i've never met him but i can tell in his photos Is you know, some people have bad juju in their photos and you just know they're up to no good. But your kid looks like a very sweet gentleman,
0: like nice guy on his way. (laughs) So thank you for that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, You also mentioned earlier, not in in these exact words, but basically the law of attraction. And I have talked about this before, too. And um, I'm I'm a big believer in journaling. Um, and I'm a big believer in um, like vision boards and just like taking your desires, taking your your goals, your I don't want to say wishes because I, I feel like a wish is something that you know you literally, you just wish, not necessarily gonna come through, come true. but you know taking your your goals and and those desires and actually writing them down and making like a, a visual representation of that it's like planting this little seed in your brain that then subconsciously affects all of the things that you do moving forward, you know? So like, let's say I I wanted to, like when I said I wanted to start my podcast, right? I remember I journaled about it, like I want to start my podcast, but then I would find myself later on if I had free time, just browsing through Amazon, looking at microphones and reading reviews or, you know, I wasn't actually ready to start my podcast, but I would find myself doing these little things that would later on, you know, circle back to actually me having the podcast. But it was because I planted that little seed in my brain and it just kind of like rippled effect everything else that I did. So that's why I always say journal, journal, journal. And and it doesn't have to be just about like what I want to do. It can also be reflective journaling, like what you're grateful for or what you've experienced and what you've learned from that. Because again, taking it from your mind and putting it down on paper or somewhere, it just, it's such a, like a therapeutic feeling almost. Do you do any of that?
1: I, I've been in and out of journaling. Um, I will like uh, write, write things down on sticky notes of like what I want to do, or or um, I have like random pieces of paper around my house. If I if I get an idea, I'll write it down mm-hmm. um, just to kind of like because for me, I my brain like moves so quickly and from ideas and and things that need to be done. Yeah, that, um, it's a bit difficult for me to journal. But one of the things that I have really enjoyed about journaling is that it's, it's a time for you to slow down, which I think allows for a lot of, um, processing to occur. And, um, it gives you like a moment. It's kind of like breathing mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. for sure. Um, so we're towards the end of the episode for today. What's, what's next for you? What do you have going on? What's coming in the future? Oh, well, the future's unknown, so who knows?
1: <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, I, what I know for sure is more growth and more peeling back the layers of the onion of um, revealing my true essence in so many big words. Um, but, and and actually, I do have some exciting news. In October, I'll be walking in a fashion show in London, which is um the event it's an event the day after a pageant which is all about redefining the beauty standard and recalibrating the beauty standard to be one that is a woman who is in her middle age so like 30 to 50 Mm -hmm. who has been through adversity and who's now giving back to the community in some way um so there's a pageant one day and then there's a fashion show the next and I'll be walking in the fashion show um so it's in it's a really uh big event, um, which I'm super excited about. And I'm more excited to be excited because of what the event could evolve into mm-hmm. and what it can do for women and what it can do for making this world more inclusive and more visibly diverse. I mean, we have a very diverse planet, but as far as like media and pop culture, it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this, that's pretty exciting. And then um, you know, the rest is is to be uh, discovered.
0: <laughs> that is so cool! Congratulations on that. I look forward to to watching you do that.
1: Thank you, thank you.
0: Um, and then just to, I guess, close out, what do you want your legacy to be like? And I know that it sounds kind of morbid, but you know, like once yeah. you leave this earth, because we all will at one point, mm-hmm. how do you want people to remember you, or what do you want them to remember you for?
1: That's a great question. I think about death a lot, actually, and I think it's a really important thing to like, always keep in mind, because it, the more you can keep death in mind, the more you can live. Mm-hmm. Um, but my legacy, I would love to do what Steve Jobs did for computer nerds, but do it for the limb different community. Like Steve Jobs came and nobody cared about computer, computer nerds, but after Steve Jobs, computer nerds are cool. <laughs> right? Like, they're hip, they're fun, they're funky, like, people love them, mm-hmm. but um, the, the limb different community could use some love, and I would love to help um, the limb different community become cool, and, like, we could have, like, a prosthetic shop and, like, make it all kind of, like, you know how, like, Mac Mac made computers cool, because they have it all, like, aesthetically pleasing, and <laughs> yeah. so what if we had prosthetic shops instead of being in dingy parts of town that nobody visits that, you know, further sort of, buys into the narrative that, that, that there's something wrong with you and that you're discarded you know what if we made prosthetics like these cool like robotics and there's like all these cool like equipment I don't even know because I don't use a prosthetic but you know like that's what I would love to do that would be my legacy.
0: Now that you mentioned that and I meant to ask that earlier and it completely slipped my mind um you don't have a prosthetic is that a personal choice or is that just like anatomy anatom- or whatever the word is just like not possible because of what you have or don't have. Yeah. So I,
1: I've never wanted one. It's never been attractive uh, to me. I've had people come into my life, you know, offering um, to get that set up. And I've, it's never been attractive to me, but also it would be tricky because of my design. Like mm-hmm. I have, if you ever see a photo of me or like we are on zoom now, like yeah. it, I don't have like people who get a prosthetic sometimes it's like they're from the elbow down or they're from like mm-hmm. the middle of the bicep down, you know, so you have like a socket mm-hmm. that you can plug the prosthetic into. I have like, I have a drop-off. I have a cliff. Like there's just, there's like a little bit of collarbone and there's nothing. Yeah. So it would be a little bit tricky, but yeah. And in short, I don't even want it. So <laughs>
0: yeah. since you were born that way, does that ever cause you any pain or does that just feel fine?
1: So the, the, the right side of myself, it feels fine. Um, but what happens is the compensation that my body has to do Mm -hmm. to make up for the lack of symmetry. Mm -hmm. So since I don't have a collarbone or like the one I have, it's, it's not really like a collarbone. Um, my right side, the right side of my neck has to stabilize me. And so that creates a lot of tension, which then gives me tension in my head and in my jaw. And then, um, my back will get really tight as well on the right side because it's always having to overwork, which then compromises my breathing. Um, And then also the lack of symmetry, um, then like muscles are developed differently. So, like I have more muscle on my right leg than I do on my left leg. And then my uh, core, the right side is more strong than my left side. And so it it definitely creates pain, especially in my hand, right? Because this hand is doing everything. I, I, as I'm getting older, I'm having trouble. Um, But, the arm itself, no. The adaptation, yes, has pain. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Um, why don't you tell our listeners where they can follow you, how they can find you and support you and just follow along with everything, all the amazing things that you're doing. So you can follow me on Instagram at the one arm
1: wonder and the R and wonder has uh, three R's. It's three R's at the end it's because I have three limbs. So it's, there's three.
0: <laughs> oh, like that. I didn't even know that. well then again I also didn't notice that you had tweeted it so <laughs> yeah.
1: no worries no worries and that's that's the best place to follow me and and on there you can find my email address if you wanted to contact me directly that's the best place all right well thank you Fifi, for coming on today thank you so much for having me this was a treat